Welcome to the State of the Markets podcast. I'm Paul Rodriguez of thinktrading.com. I'm Tim Price of pricevaluepartners.com. And our very special guest is Ronan Mayer. He's the editor of Samizdat magazine. Ronan Mayer, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you very much for having me. Good, good to be here. Well, it's an absolute pleasure. So tell us about your journey to the Samizdat magazine. Well, I've come from a slightly unusual background. Um, I'm from Manchester originally. I lived that's that's not that unusual. I mean, plenty of people have come from Manchester. <laughs> my, fa- my family, for example. Right. Where, where, where are your fam- family from? My family are from Chalton Kamhardi. Oh, this stuff's being revealed today. I didn't know that. <laughs> and on that bombshell. <laughs> yeah, media pics. <laughs> I, my fiance was there last night in, in Chalton Kamhardi. What, with, Me, my, Chal- with my, 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 my parents? Maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah Chal- Chalton Kamhardi um, ironically means land of the peasants. It's actually quite a Yeah, let's not now. dwell on that. Then. Yeah, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> it's all coming out. It's, 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 it's absolutely revelatory issue. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm from Manchester originally. Um, I lived for much of my 20s in, in Ireland. Um, half my family are from over there. My mother's Irish. Um, my dad's English, but his father, my grandfather, was Irish from Tipperary. Mother's from Western Ireland. Um, both my parents, psychiatric nurses. Well, they were, they're retired now. My mother moved into the private sector and pioneered the um, homes for the recovering mentally ill model. Um, so I've been around mental health for my whole life. Um, my fiance is a psychiatrist too, but I took different paths. Um, I was in hospitality management for a long time and I was in business in, in Dublin for three years until the financial crash. I had an events business. Um, and I went back to university as a mature student when I was 28, studied English at Leeds University. Um, while I was there, I worked for Pulse Radio, um, part-time music journalism. I've always been attracted to the media, in particular to um, long-form journalism originally, really. Um, I've always had in the back of my mind that I wanted to have a magazine. I've always, I love magazines, I love reading them, um, I love stories. Um, I think they are wonderful things when they're done well. And yeah, that's, that's very and that, and now brief you overview. Have, and, and now you have one. I do. I mean, it's a fledgling magazine. It's not really out yet, but um, I do. I do, yeah. Will it be? Um, t- 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 will it- t- tell us a bit about Samizdat then. So Samizdat is a, is a Russian word, in case you didn't know. Um, it basically means self-publishing. Um, Samizdat refers to... Um, Literature, which which uh, was unpopular with the ruling um, class in the Soviet Union, it emerged in particular after Stalin's death. So, you know, most famously, I suppose, um, Solzhenitsyn's work would be Sam is that. Um, and I think it's it's relevant to our time because increasingly there are restrictions on free speech. Increasingly, um, there's a statist ideology growing up around us and taking over every little part of our lives. Um, and as that happens, ideas, particularly those about freedom, become um, almost unsayable. So that's why I called it 
called it, um, Samizdat. It's not just going to be free speech, though. It's not, that's you know, I mean, there are other publications which focus a lot on on, on free speech issues. And I suppose Spiked, for, exa- for example, um, it's going to be a wider cultural magazine which covers um, everything from economics to um, history and current current affairs. So you were saying, as you, as you were growing up, your parents were psychiatrists and your partners are psychiatrists. Did you feel like you were being analysed all the time as you grew up or was it just something that you just weren't aware of? Um, my, my parents were psychiatric nurses. So, oh, um, right. my, my dad was a forensic nurse and so was my uncle. Um, so they dealt with... with um, my, my dad worked at a medium secure unit. Um, my uncle worked at one of the high secure units, Ashworth. Um, so they were dealing with criminally insane people. Um, my mother uh, was a general nurse and psychiatric nurse, and she was the one who um, pioneered the homes for the recovering mentally ill. So I grew up next door to to a house with 28 to 30, um, mainly men with um, schizophrenia and other personality disorders. Um, was that scary? I, no, no, it was, it was just the norm to me. It was, very, it was obviously not... N- the norm for most it was an unusual um thing to to grow up around did that not make you want to go into politics no no um it's a did. joke by the way <laughs> um, I mean, sometimes it's difficult to, to tell to do it. yeah with me it's very it's almost impossible to tell whether i'm joking or not so that that, that thump noise you hear is one of my jokes descending towards the center of the earth <laughs> very dry um yeah I, I didn't feel like i was being analyzed no um i mean in retrospect, I probably was, but um, you know, not in a not in an unhealthy way. I like to think. So your so your journey to Samizdat magazine. Uh, what is it about this magazine that you felt you had to create? You had a burning desire. You've said that you enjoy the magazine format, and a, a magazine is the format of a magazine. In my mind, is something that you you want to keep. Like you end up having loads of them of anything that you really like. It so it's got a long shelf life i would say and something to savor as and if you have a dad from chultagam hardy he then keeps them in the garage and it's impossible to get rid of them hoarding (laughs) um i mean i I, like i said before i've i've always been attracted to magazines yeah Um, i was a big fan of writers like gay talese um rian milan tom wolf um truman capote love kind of long long form narrative non-fiction writers um so i've always been attracted to it i love i love reading them but in terms of what did i think needed to be plugged up today i think there's a there is a gap in the market for a pro free market magazine um even our so-called um free market think tanks in in britain um are not remotely free market at all um they're quite statist really i'm thinking of the institute of economic affairs I'm thinking of um, the the uh, uh, Adam Smith Institute. I would include the Economist in that. I mean, the EU Communist, as many people call it. Yeah, yeah, the Communist. Yeah, I mean, I I just think that's like a sort of glossy Guardian. Mm. Um, you know, I I wouldn't I wouldn't regard that as pro free market at all. And, you know, the London School of Economics was set up by the Fabian Society, by the Webs, um, and. You know, a lot of a lot of people involved with economics in this country have come through that 
school. Um, so I think there's a, there's, a, there's a gap in the market for the small number of free market people in the country, people who, who, who are more comfortable reading um, von Mises than, mm. than, than, than Keynes. People who broadly don't think that, that state bureaucrats should micromanage our lives. So people who, are, we have an international audience. So for those people... We, we, we are the, the 78th best uh, business board in Botswana. But, yeah. but keep it under your hat. We're trying to we, get don't to, wanna, we don't want to boast <laughs> about it. We're trying to get to 77. And I'm not sure we're going to. Uh, but we're going to keep going. Um, so for our international audience, how would you... Because obviously we know these publications, but they might not know. How would you describe what they're doing wrong and what you hope to correct with your magazine? Um, so, I mean, the Economist, I haven't read it for a while, so um, I don't I'm not want sure to, anybody else has either, to be fair. So, I don't want to misrepresent it, but the last time I read The Economist, which is one of the world's biggest economics magazines, not just um, Britain's, mm-hmm. there was a heavy leaning towards um, liberal socialism. Mm. It sounds like a contradiction in terms, but I mean, liberal of a small L, as it's meant um, um, in the United States, really, it's kind of more left-leaning, isn't it? There's, a, there's, a, there's a, an assumption that um, the state should have a great deal of involvement in the economy, whether with stimulus packages um, or other, other measures to alleviate inequality. They are obsessed with inequality, literally obsessed. Mm. Um, it would be... You know, for a U.S. audience, I suppose it would be roughly akin to the outlook of um, writers at the Washington Post and the New York Times. Um, so, you know, um, Paul Krugman, um, would, you know, exactly, you know, would 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 be someone who um, the average economist writer would resonate with, I think. Um, the Spectator. Is our we love this. We love this. I love the Spectator. I love the Spectator. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the Spectator is a great, great magazine. I'm not entirely happy with the direction it's gone in recently. Um, I think. Well, Matthew Paris is a complete cut. We can probably bleep that out, can't we, Paul? After afterwards, we'll we'll deal with it in post. It's a good job we're not going out live, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> not, not really. Um, I, I don't care anymore. I don't I've, think I've anyone would argue with that. Nobody don't tosser. care. Tosser. Um, really is, but it's uh, it, it's more than just Matthew Paris, isn't it? You know, um, they've taken a an anti-Trump line. Um, it, they were clearly in favour of Biden, and Biden's the most left-wing um, presidential uh, president in in you know since FDR, perhaps since Woodrow Wilson. Um, you know, their their uh, politics editor Kate Andrews was was pro Biden. You know, this is an extraordinary um, move to the left for that magazine for me. Um, and then Mary Whitehouse um, is the assistant editor there, isn't she? And uh, recently she was, she was championing uh, uh, vaccine passports. You know, pa- papers, please. Matt um, Paris was obviously doing that recently too. Uh, I don't think that is reflective of, of small C conservatives at all. Um, I think. I mean the the get the get out you the get out clause you you could make for for the spectator uh, as for any magazine I guess but particularly for them 
is that they 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 like they cover a broad church so they 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 don't have a a party line they don't have a house view and i'm sort of inclined to half buy into that but that only gets you so far because if 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 the view um presented by let's say those people who are not of the parish is bloody awful then it shouldn't really be in print in other words, it has to stand on its own merits and if it's just cocking awful it shouldn't have been in production to begin with that that's a difficult one though isn't it tim because it, what you might regard as cocking awful someone might regard as a great idea so now, i think you'll find paul that my <laughs> definition of cocking awful is in the oed as like the accepted <laughs> okay. you know the accepted world view yeah yeah there is that of course yes I've, i'm sorry i forgot yeah it's okay it's okay <laughs> I'll try. You, I'll try to remember next time. <laughs> do you not think? Do 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 you not do you not think then that there should be um, articles on on the you know the the the, the virtues of flat earthism, mm. maybe because these ideas that that they're giving um, um, print print space to promote are basically as as um, discredited as flat earthism. You know, yeah. socialism is a is a totally discredited ideology it does not work yeah so, I, well i mean th- th- look there's a difference between flat earthism and and socialism probably not the bigger difference as many might think but well, i don't think flat earthism has killed hundreds of millions of people but give it time yeah but it's um see that that's that's the problem of of definitions isn't it i mean you you can end up getting caught in in the world of legalese, just trying to describe the most simplest thing. And the more you break something down, it's like, for example, I was recently listening to a podcast about where they were discussing if the old, um, the old idea of if a tree falls in a, in a wood and there's no one around to hear it, does it make a sound? And you'd say, of course it would make a sound, but how do you define what a sound is? Is it sound waves? Is it sound waves? Cause you hear them. You know, the colours that you see, are they real colours or, or just what your brain perceives them to be? And how do I know that the green that I see is the same as the green that you see? Because there's absolutely no way of proving that. And then you go down that sort of road. And and then you talk about, say, religion. And, and that's a whole nother, you know, ball game of, of whether religion is a good or a bad thing. And I must admit, I had some very strong views about whether it's a helpful thing or whether it's just people being conned. But when I've, I've recently listened to the audio book of, of Homer Deus, um, which is Yuval Noah, Noah Harari. Harari's book. And he was talking about how very interestingly about the way science um, can sit in one box and religion is a very good way of getting people to believe a single view and to immobilize or to mobilize them into into action and it it gave a completely different perspective on perhaps what religion is so it it, all i'm trying to say here is that it's kind of opened my mind to being too anti what the other side is thinking because because they're thinking the same about you sometimes and it's the difference is probably not as big as you might think when you start to break things down. I mean, I don't agree with vaccine passports. I think it's a terrible idea. And I think if you if you want to go to a football match and you're vaccinated or you've had the virus, um, then you're going to feel more comfortable if that's how you want to feel. 
against someone who just doesn't want to take the vaccine and and wants to take the risk and that's that's their their choice so that's my view but um but i guess the state might think well there are stupid people out there who will do stupid things and we need to protect others from those selfish people so how do we do that and so they might be thinking that they're just trying to to act for the greater good and in the in the course of a pandemic that's the one time i think that governments have some form of role um they should have an honest role and they shouldn't try to scare the people they should be honest with what's going on but that is the one time that you you guess you can't just let people do whatever they want because if it, if they had done that and there was a dangerous virus out there then we would have serious problems as as Ron, ronan's gone is he is, that I, was think, I think you've scared him off paul <laughs> that, 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 that extended delay there <laughs> <laughs> extended monologue is just yeah. proud beating him into submission well no it's just sorry i didn't i didn't mean to uh to, <laughs> to rant off there but i i just i just thought it was quite quite an interesting point but w- what do you think ronan i th- think you make you make you make a good point i don't um i entirely a, a, agree i mean i'm i'm a pretty fundamental I'm a fundamentalist when it comes to this stuff. Oh, cool. I'm, okay. I'm quite opposed to um, vaccine passports in the same way that I'm opposed to secret police. I'm not interested in making fe- people feel comfortable. I don't think it's the government's job to make people feel comfortable. Um, I mean, I know many people would, would say that that's wrong, but um, that's just how I, how I see things. I don't want to debate vaccine passports any more than I want to debate genocide. Um, I'm, these are these are all obviously bad things to me. You know, the idea that that the that you should have to show papers to go for a pint is just completely mental. How how do you think this? How do you think we've got into this position? Because it's it's basically taken roughly a year for us to have gone from quote normality unquote to papers please, and it's like what the hell just happened? I think we were already quite um, a long way down the road towards statism myself. Uh, 2019, we had, you know, the, the um, highest tax burden since since uh, uh, Wilson was in power. Um, we have huge states in 2019, enormous amounts of involvement in our lives. So it doesn't it didn't surprise me really that we we, we took this turn. You know, it was it was set up. Most people love big government. We say this, they do. They love it in this country. You know, the NHS people would sacrifice their own children, I think, to save it. You know, they'd, they'd certainly sacrifice us. I'd but, be perfectly um, happy to sacrifice somebody else's children for it. Oh no, no doubt about it. Um, but people, people who are who are opposed to it, free free marketeers. You know, if you suggest that maybe maybe it might be a good idea if we have to partly privatize the NHS. So it's more like France, you know, free market France. Um, I think they would they would they would consider having you imprisoned for saying things like that, you know. So it doesn't surprise me that we're in this position so much. I mean, it distresses me. It's horrific. It doesn't surprise me. I, I just want to make the point that I'm, I may agree with you, but I may not necessarily ask questions that sound like I agree with you. But I think it's important to, you know, for 
just to not all say the same thing. I think we, we need to sort of test our ideas and, and that's why I, I will ask certain questions. But what, what is it for you about the NHS that you think is such a, a problem and, and should be changed? Is it the fact that it's absolutely shit and kills people? Would that, that be a reason? That's part of it. Yeah, but, but um, oh, come on. I don't think we can be as flippant as that about. I know. Like, I, I'm. I'm being absolutely genuine. I'm. Uh, I'm. No, it sounds flippant, but we. We've basically. My take is that we've distilled, or rather, the government distilled a whole bunch of pensioners from hospitals, which, as we know from the likes of MRSA, are germ factories into care homes, and then killed people. So, yeah, but, but that was that was the decision of of certain people in power, and and it made when well, it, Matt wh- Hancock should be hanged from a tree. Well, that, so, so what? For example, so, so some might say, some might say, but say, but what what I'm trying to say here is that it, when you blanket say something like that, it makes it sound like I mean there are I I wouldn't want to be a doctor. I remember when I worked in the city, and I just thought, isn't this crazy? You know, we're we're moving money around. And we're doing this job and it is a hard job. You've got to be in at six and you leave at eight or whatever it is. And you're still working at the weekends and you're effectively just playing with money. Um, and then you get paid a lot of money. But, 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 but in the city, nobody dies. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. But that, but would, would you like to be a nurse or would you like to be a doctor, a junior doctor and give up your life trying to save the lives of other people? And I, so I have a tremendous respect for doctors and nurses and anyone who wants to go into that profession. I have no respect for, I mean, I'm getting really antsy and it's really for Ronan to, to talk, but I have no respect for doctors or nurses who have been silent about what's been going on for the last 12 months. Well, that, that's a different matter. That is a different so it's, matter. I think it's all part and parcel of the whole coronavirus fraud. And I think that's, that's further up the chain, see? So I think the people on the front line, I don't blame as much uh, well, I don't blame at all, actually. I, I blame the layers of management and the mismanagement. But what, Ronan, this is, this is, we want your views here. What, uh, what, what do you think? Um, well, I agree with your line of questioning. I think we should test our ideas. Um, so I, I, I appreciate that. Um, why, why do I, what do I think is wrong with the NHS? I think there's several things wrong with it. Um, fundamentally, the thing that matters most to me is that it's, is such a powerful tool to control the population, for the state to control the population. We're weaned onto the state by the NHS because we've got this huge... Cradle to grave. Cradle to grave, von von Bismarck's cradle to grave. Um, We are addicted to it from birth, um, and therefore it can be used to to control us. And, and, you know, I, I thought this before 2020, but 2020 has shown just how powerful it can can be. Um, it's also incredibly in, in, inefficient. There's no pricing mechanism in the NHS, obviously. So it's a rations-based based system. Um, the waste is, in, is just incredible. It's extraordinary. You know, there was lots of talk about PPE. And I remember Hancock, um, in a rare moment of clarity, tried to push back against the um, demand issues with PPE. As my, my dad said at the time, he said there's an attitude in the NHS, which is, is why use one wipe when you can use 30? You know, it's incredible waste, it really is. So that's just unsustainable. You cannot, you cannot use resources in, in, in that way and not end up, um, you know, the disaster. 
And it's a black hole. Look how much money we spend on it because of that. So what, when, when you go into an NHS hospital with, a, with an illness of some kind... Assuming you can because they're all closed except to COVID. If mm. you were to... Um, the, 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 the staff or the, the, whole, the way the system works is they're going to try and spend as little money as they can in order to solve your problem, which could be completely the opposite for a private hospital. So if you go into a private hospital, they're going to try and bill you for absolutely everything because that's how they make the money and they make it off the insurance. So you might be billed $50 for a, for a headache tablet. You might be billed $1,000 a night and they might not have um, what you want and they might do a load of tests that they don't really need to do because they're going to make money out of you. Um, but the NHS aren't going to want to do that because that's not that that's not they're not there's nobody making money at doctor level so they're not going to ask to do something that's unnecessary what would you say to that well the, they do do things that are unnecessary um and they do make they do make money G, gps for example um make money for prescribing certain things so it's it's not strictly true that um that's not going on well private doctors so, so for example well. um private Doctors can can be doing that too, for sure. Um, or they do that for for a living, don't they? But if um, if you if you think that that doesn't happen in the NHS, that's that's, that's not true. That's false. Well, I'm, uh, I'm not saying it does or doesn't. I'm just asking the the, the question. Well, it does. It does happen um, in in both. Um, you know, vaccines, for instance, and they're getting twelve pounds a shot. Um, that's you know, quite a lot of money when you when you run the, run the numbers. Um, in a private setting, um, if you've got competition, if you've got enough private hospitals, then the prices are going to be driven down. If you go to one hospital and they want to charge you, you know, um, I don't know, £10,000 for a new knee, you may go to, go to a different hospital down the road and they're only charging you 7000 You know, it's a lack of competition um, in, in our system means that we don't really have private healthcare in the sense that um, we have, you know, private hospitality what what country's healthcare system do you admire the most and do you think ours should be like um in an ideal world you'd be looking at somewhere like singapore um but we don't live in an ideal world and british people have been weaned onto the nhs so i think the best we could hope for here would be something along the lines of the netherlands or germany um i think those are better systems I was I was in a German hospital um, three years ago. I had Crohn's disease and I had an attack when I was over there in Berlin um, for a weekend. And I was very impressed with, with, with the care in the hospital. I was only there for 24 hours, but I was I was impressed. And a, a lot of people live over there um, who who speak very highly of the system. And and how does their system work? Because they've got a private and and um, public health healthcare system haven't they yeah it's 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 a it's a blend um they have obligatory um insurance in in germany i don't know what at what point it kicks in but you do have to have um insurance it's legal not to have health insurance there right okay and so i don't know how that would how that would go down here um i think it would be it would just be politically impossible to bring something like that in here well, if, if, we, if everyone stopped pay, paying their national insurance, then they could just pay that into a separate insurance. Should, surely it's the same thing. Yeah, but although, it's, although it's quite a bit 
higher. Um, what's what's national insurance here? What's the average national insurance contribution? Um, it's nothing compared to what what it is that you pay for in insurance in in Germany. Um, I think the problem so is think, it's not graded to to the higher salaried people, isn't it? Isn't it? I think that's. But the, isn't it? Isn't it also just merged into this tax thing? So you've got national insurance. It's just an extra tax, but then there's also the tax base anyway, and it's all just it's all just a massive. You know, wave of of expenditure that goes into sort of central government coffers. Yes, that's what it's like here. Uh, I mean, I, I just see national insurance as just a tax. I see it as something separate. You know, um, whereas in in Germany you do have to pay into separate insurance contributions. What, what do you think, think of the American? Well, oh, sorry, sorry, I didn't. Mean sorry, to it's, it's okay. Um, it's I think I think it's at least three hundred pounds a month. Give an idea of of the kind of amounts that we're talking here. Right. So that's, that's that for is, everyone. That's considerable. Mm. That's like a little mortgage. Yeah, but in return for that, they they get um, far better health than we have here. Far better healthcare than we have here. The outcomes are, are, are dreadful um, with the NHS. I think we're I think we rank at fourteenth or fifteenth in the developed world for um, cancer, heart disease, and other other serious killers. The only thing I'm aware of loosely is um, that I think our, 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 the NHS's capacity to deal with certain cancers, including breast cancer, has improved lately, but that's a, a, sort of a tiny bit of good news in a, um, a tsunami of otherwise not good news. Could, it, could any of it have anything to do with our lifestyle and our diet and the fact that most people's lifestyle and diet is, is bad and getting worse? Uh, compared to other countries where they may not have such a good healthcare system, yet actually their lack of money in other areas are actually helping their their overall health. Yeah, I, I think I think we have a pretty unhealthy population. And I think that in in the end, um, when the dust has settled and we have some kind of inquiry, you know, actually as it happens in the side, I think the inquiry will be rigged, um, but. I do think it will come out that um, obesity, general unhealthy living, um, was was responsible for a lot of deaths over the last year, for sure. Um, whereas Scandinavian countries, for example, are a bit healthier there than they are here. But maybe, maybe, maybe the NHS creates this problem in some ways. There are a lot of fat nurses, I notice, in the TikTok videos. I, yeah. I, I don't know how the NHS could create the problem. I, I would say the problem is more likely to be with corporations that are allowed to sell food that is bad for people. At uh, They're allowed to advertise to children sugary drinks and chocolate. H- highly processed foods with massive amounts of sugar in them. Exactly. And, you, you know, McDon- the biggest McDonald's in Europe, I think, was at the Olympic Park Village. And it's like, what what sort of message is that giving us and if, I, rem- if I, rem- was- I remember seeing in the 2012 olympics there was a an advert on the side of a bus and i had to put it out to my daughter i said look what they're doing here and it had a um it had someone doing the long jump over some you know chocolate um finger sticks or whatever those things are called i was Kit like Kat. well no it was the the other chocolate fingers and so i was like they're trying to associate being fit and healthy with this chocolate and and so the power of well, advertising. Gary, Lineker, Gary Lineker's is bad and Chris, with, with, with yeah. So so it's the isn't it the companies that are being allowed to influence people's opinions, and 
you, 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 I mean, you can literally, you can literally make people buy your product with this advertising by putting it everywhere. And if you advertise to children at a young enough age, you, you're basically, you know, locking them in for for the rest of their lives. So I, I, I would just push back slightly against the the fact that you can blame the NHS for that. I think there should be more of a tax on those types of food and more education. I mean, real education about what's right and wrong, instead of just piecemeal saying, oh, you know, sugary drinks are bad for you. They're not, they're not really doing a good enough job of, of putting kids off this stuff and getting them addicted to it. So I think that's where the real problem is. But that, that's just me. I, I think the NHS has to deal with the problem. And I, in that regard, I think that they should get more money. From... It's a bit like the NHS being, being the fourth emergency service, isn't it? Well, they're, yeah. they're left to sweep up the, the detritus. Well, well, kind of, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're having to deal with a problem that's being created by companies who are profiteering by the, making everybody else sick, in, in my view. So, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I think uh, universal health care um, makes people stop taking responsibility for their own health. Health. Um, I think that if 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 you sever the um, the connection between healthcare and your own expenditure, then you know why why would you why would you you care? You know, free, free, isn't it? Let's go to the NHS hospital and and get your um, obesity serviced or heart service because of it or whatever it might be whereas if you've got a um a sense that if you don't take care of your body then you're going to have huge bills maybe you'll take more care of your body i saw this documentary where i can't remember the name of it i'm really sorry but there was this um they were talking about junk food and and the addiction to sugary drinks and what it does to your body i mean quite how bad it is for your body is just unbelievable and they were interviewing various people who were clearly, you know, in very bad shape. And they were saying, you know, well, why do you keep doing this? And they just said, look, I, I can't help it. It's my fault. It's not anybody else's fault. It's my fault. And they were blaming themselves for something. But that, it could be an addiction. But it could be an addiction. addiction. That's the thing. It, it could be that this stuff is so addictive that they can't help but go back. But they're only going to blame themselves. And, and yet... I, I hear what you're saying. It's like they might say, well, they might say, well, I'll, I'll be looked after if I get sick. But I don't think people think that far. I don't, I just think they, they think into the future, the next sort of, oh, I'm hungry. I want to go and get, you know, a takeout or something of mm. some, 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 you know, of some description that's probably not. Well, we were, we were at one point trying to get, trying to think about getting sponsored by German Doner Kebab. I think that's just flown out the window. <laughs> well, I think German Doner Kebabs are probably great. I mean, because it's going to be real meat and I probably really good I think if they do any due diligence on us, then we've just <laughs> lost that gig, man. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, like, German food, you, you should know, Ronan, is, is fantastic. I mean, they, they don't put any rubbish in their in their sausages. They don't put but it is, But it. it is basically sausages. Yeah, but German there's nothing wrong with sausages. There's nothing wrong with sausages and, and good a, a balanced organic diet. Requires something other than sausages. I think having sausages and beer, like good okay, organic okay, stuff. Beer. Okay, you, you've won me over. <laughs> <laughs> having that sort of stuff is much better than processed, you know, sure. processed food. I, I, what, what do you think, Ronan? I, what, what was your experience in Germany? I think they 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 eat a lot of processed food there. I, I, you know, oh, I, I, I I like bratwursts. I like. Uh, 
I like German beer. The beer is far better quality than. Oh, it's, it's beer. superb, isn't it? It's, far it's fantastic. Um, but the they Reinheit, do. They do. Reinheit's Geburt. Sorry, Lovely. sorry. Excuse um, me. It's okay. They they they, they do eat um, quite a lot of unhealthy food there too. Um, now, as unhealthy as we do here, I don't know about that. Uh, I didn't know that about about the McDonald's. Um, large. Were you saying the largest largest McDonald's? Yeah, in, in Europe. Europe. I think it was in the Olympic Village. I mean, I could be wrong. Look, you can fact check me, but I'm, I I didn't see it. I didn't go to it, but I'm I I heard that that's it was just massive. That is extraordinary, isn't it? It's like having yeah. the Alcoholics, Al- Alcoholics Anonymous meeting in the local brewery, isn't it? Yeah. You know, strange things go on. But, um, yeah, it's good food. I like it. Germany's a fantastic place. It really is. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think I'm, 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 I'm an outspoken Brexiteer. And I think people are quite surprised when I say that. And they do buy into the idea that being a Brexiteer is a sort of anti-German thing, um, which it isn't really. That's like, that's the biggest slur, surely, uh, against the Brexiteers, because certainly I, w- I would also claim to be an outspoken one. And it's the idea that by by wanting independence from this gigantic pan-national statist lump of lard that is the EU, you're somehow against against other countries it's not yeah. it's not a racist thing or a you know whatever it, uh, a nationalistic thing it's simply against big government it's against big state all over again i i'd argue a step further i'd say it's for each country to act in a way that is best for them like if the spanish want to have bullfights they can have bullfights let them do it who's why should the rest of europe dictate what they do if that's if that's what they want to do if the if each country wants to express itself in a slightly different way, why? We also let the bulls have a say in the matter. Well, yeah, there is that. Okay, but you know, I mean, it's not something that I agree with. But I'm just saying, if if each individual country wants to act in their own way, then why can't they? You know, why why do we have to homogenise everything? That's that's the problem with the European Union. It's homogenising everything. Somebody says, "I want to be different," and they say, "Well, no, you can't. You can't be different. You can't think differently. You've got to do it this way," and. And so that's why, as a Brexiteer, I totally agree when people say, oh, what, 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 so you don't hate the rest of Europe? Because we don't hate the rest of Europe. We love the rest of Europe. We'd you love can it. love Europe and hate the EU. Of they're, course. They're, they're it's, compa- compatible ideas. Exactly. That, and that's how I feel personally. I mean, I don't want to bring back to the NHS, but that's how I feel about the NHS. I think doctors and nurses do an amazing job, and I think it's really hard. But the actual system might need to change. So it's exactly the same with Brexit. Um, but. Yeah, so you, you say, so what were you doing in Germany? I DJed for a long time, for about 10 years, um, just as, as, as a hobby. And I've got the best record shops in in the world, in, in, in Germany. Record shops are incredible. Is stuff. that German music or is that international? Uh, German, well, in, in, international. Um, in all, I, all I can think of is Kraftwerk, but I mean, admittedly I haven't been in a German record shop ever, so I wouldn't know what's, what's oh, on. I'm offer. thinking David Hasselhoff for some reason. Oh, <laughs> the guy you brought down the Berlin Wall, yes. <laughs> they love him over there. I um I, I prefer Kraftwerk and Can and Krautrock Krautrock to um to David Hasselhoff personally, but yeah, I, I, I acknowledge I acknowledge his contribution to the fall of communism. <laughs> <laughs> also the theme the, the, the soundtrack to the theme to, to my Knight Rider is not bad. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, it's good. It's going to be Giorgio, bit, Giorgio Moroda, isn't it? It's a bit niche. I, I couldn't. I, I, I'd be amazed if it was Giorgio Moroda. It's Mike Post for most of the eighties stuff. But anyway. So that that sounds like a lot of fun DJing in in Germany for ten years. And no, no, I didn't. I didn't DJ there for ten years. But I, oh. I DJ for ten years. But I used to go there quite a lot because oh. the, the the clubs and and nightlife there is is second to nowhere really, um, and the record shops are amazing, mm. and it's you know it's a, it's a place of great historical interest. Were, were were you in Berlin or Frankfurt or where where were Berlin? You? Berlin, yeah, Berlin is fantastic, fantastic place. Absolutely love it. It's a, it's a great place. I mean, it's it's insolvent and propped up by the rest of the country, but um, but it is a it is a fantastic place. It really is. So, so you said at the top of the show that you weren't surprised by the fact that we'd moved towards vaccine passports, um, or there was an attempt to do that. What do you foresee happening in the next sort of ten to eighteen months? Uh, I. I'm very pessimistic about the future. Um, I try to be, op- I try to be be optimistic. You know, I I, I take um, good signs wherever I find them. You know, I, I went out for a, a drink the other day with a friend. In um, the snow. In the snow. In the snow. Uh, so cold. Um, but it was, you know, it, it was it was nice to to see him more than anything else. I haven't seen him in ages. He's been taking it very seriously and hiding away and following the rules. I haven't um, been doing that. Um, we were not hassled very much. We went to two bars and both of them were climbing over themselves to, um, to give us good service. A yes, sir. No, sir. You know, they're really servile, which tells me that, that they really they're desperate, the trade. really desperate for the trade. Um, so they know there's a bit of hope in things like that, but, you know, the polls, now I know everyone says the polling is rigged. Um, I'm not so sure. I, I do I do maintain that the British people love big government um, and that they, they think big government should, should have enormous involvement in our lives. You know, I, know, I know some people thought that after Brexit that we would have this, you know, Singapore on the Thames, mm. um, free market economy, that we'd be able to, uh, you know, take the, take the, EU bureaucratic shackles off and um, thunder forwards. I never thought that was going to happen. Um, I I think that they're going to make our, our state even larger. I think it's clear that they're using um, COVID as an excuse to impose an awful lot of green taxation and green regulations. But this planet. is this is ultimately untenable because the the economic system simply cannot bear this stuff. The the green crap, as I think, uh, uh, who's who's who is the outgoing prime minister that's now turned out to be as crony as anybody else, David Cameron. That that's his phrase, not mine. I'm just repeating it. The green crap is completely economically invalid. So it's basically like saying, well, we will get rid of functioning energy sources and will replace them with far more inefficient and costly energy sources. It's just, it's garbage. It's complete garbage. It, it, it is, I, I agree, but um, the decisions have been made ideologically and not empirically. Yeah. So um, that's something... It's, it's as if there's some kind of death wish going on in the West. Yeah, it, it, it does feel that way. Um, I'm very worried that, that, that the West is sliding off the edge of, of, of a cliff very quickly. Um, and I'm, you know, I hate to think what's going to be at the other side of all this. You know, I think the, 
best case scenario is um, something like Sweden. That's the best case scenario. Um, but I think it's it's more likely to wind up um, like like we were in the 1970s under Sonny mm. Jim Callahan. Mm. Um, sick, sick man of Europe. Sick man of Europe. Yeah. Really? I, I don't think. I don't think so. I think we'll be able to trade with Asia, and um, it will be an economic boom for us. I think it's a positive thing. What? What? what so I mean, I'm. I was just. I was more worried about the 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 restrictions and things like that going forward. But you, you haven't mentioned anything about that. It's more more that we're going to be. You you just think we're going to underperform. But but why do you why do you think we'll we'll underperform the rest of Europe and possibly the world? Um, I think well not 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 the whole world. I think that places like Zimbabwe and Venezuela will continue to lead the way on that front. Um, I just think that we are um, as we move further away from the fall of communism. I think we become more socialistic, and we already had a lot of socialism in this country to begin with after 1945-plus post-war consensus. Um, I think we're moving in the wrong direction in all kinds of ways, um, mainly to do with the, the increase of um, state involvement in the economy. Yeah, we will be able to trade with um, with Asia, and if we have free ports, that'll be great. Um, but I, I think that the enormous amounts of restrictions domestically in the name of, of zero-carbon um, targets will put a severe drag, especially on small to medium-sized businesses. Big businesses will be fine um, because they can afford to get around all of this stuff. In some ways, I think they actually like it. Um, The restrictions, the COVID restrictions, I think that some of those will continue too. And that will also put a drag on our economy. You know, if a bar is only half capacity, restaurants only half capacity, but it's still got the same overheads. It's bye-bye hospitality sector. Sorry? Bye-bye hospitality sector. The hospitality sector will, 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 will slide off the cliff, yeah. Except for the very, very big... The chains, chain. the chains, mm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then you have this, this um, corporatist... We're already a very corporatist-like state, but um, I, think, I think that is accelerating. You know, so the big supermarkets, um, Amazon, obviously, you know, a nation of shopkeepers becomes a nation of Amazon delivery. A, a nation of one shop. A nation of one shop, yeah, yeah. I, I'm very much, um, you know, I've, I got my Amazon account in 2000, so I, I was an early adopter. But I got criticised by somebody when I said um, that I I really like to have normal shops as well, and they were like, "Well, get with the program," you know, granddad. You know, get with the program. Maybe I should, but you know, I still think there's there's some validity in having like shops that you can you can visit on the high street and try stuff out before you buy it and. I, th- I think there's a place for Amazon as well, but I also think that there seems to be a a complete double standard when it comes to looking at monopolies. Anyone who's studied economics knows that if you have a monopoly, it's not a good thing, and, and they seem to have a, a monopoly in quite a few areas. Um, that's a little bit worrying, um, but I suppose they are so efficient and they do such a great job that it's really hard to argue against. So. You know, it's like it's like one of those things. I'm not going to be boycotting them, but I, I, I still feel for the the shop that's that's trying to compete against them. It would help if 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 maybe maybe local governments took their 
boots off the throats of, of retail yes. workers. You know, I mean, the business rates are, are, are extraordinarily high and the way they work them out by tying them to the value of properties um, means means that they're always going to be unaffordable. You know, there was a pub um, not far from where I'm sat here, a small town centre pub, um, and I checked out what the business rates were there. It, it closed down um, not long ago. It's £52,000 a year. Unbelievable. Fif- £52,000 a year before they buy any stock, before they hire any staff, before they pay any electricity bills or anything else. Um, that's just mad. And no matter what happens in the town centres, even if they even if they empty out, the value of those properties is going to remain high because of their residential potential. So, you know, I, I like Amazon. I use Amazon. But I also like um, having a high street. I like, I like going out and, and just browsing and sometimes picking up presents for people or whatever it might be. Mm. Um, trying there's, clothes on before I buy them. There's a, de- there's a degree of serendipity in the real world that you can't get on Amazon. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And that's being uh, uh, totally melted away. Um, not just in the last year, it was going that way beforehand. And business, business rates is at the heart of the problem. Yes, Absolutely. And I think also, I don't know whether you have this problem locally as well, but I think it's utterly disgraceful the way they don't let you park free outside a shop. You know, you've got to, if you try to drive to a shop in any, any, anywhere in London, certainly, you park your car outside, you've got to find, you've got to get your phone out and start paying for, for, you know, what will they get, a pound 50 or something for you popping into a shop? I mean, is is the pro- is the problem, Paul? Not that we've got a twenty first century world with councils adopting a nineteenth century mindset. Yeah, and what are they? What are they? What are you hoping to achieve? Like you're going to ruin these shops because people won't go to them because they can't drive to them. So you have these big, you know, shopping centres that that will attract all the business, and then, um, and then the high street value will go down, and then everything just turns into to. In, in, into like flats and conversions is that really what you want you know why don't they just make it free i just don't understand at least for a short period of time to allow these shops like you say if you're paying fifty five thousand pounds a year in business rates and you haven't got a car park and you can't park outside that shop or or you know drive your family for a sunday lunch because there's nowhere to park what, what's the sense in that you know that business is going to close down. It's going to keep turning over, and you, in the long term, you're not gaining anything at all. Well, they 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 would they would argue, I suppose, that um, they need to get people off the roads because climate change. Yeah, what? <laughs> so, so, so they need to get people off the roads. Yeah, but they want to get people off the roads, except they love taxing the hell out of motorists. If you step one wheel into a into a bus lane they come out with the rubber hoses if you go into a box junction they they pay, charge 120 pounds for not crossing properly they make signs difficult to read so that they catch you out where you're supposed to be sort of reading a sign before you go into a road to work out whether you're allowed to park there on a single yellow line on a sunday but you 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 can't quite work it out because the signs are like um you know before you actually get into the area. So you have to have seen it. And if there was a bus in the way, you're not going to have seen that sign. And there is nothing on the side of the road to say that you can't park there anyway. So the only way to find out is to get a ticket 
and then you've got to argue about whether you've whether you you're going to take it to court and 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 uh, and refute the ticket. It's they that, they love all- it's that problem again, isn't it? With with ideology, um, and moving ahead of of empiricism, people um, today are acting ideologically in in government. I mean, so all that revenue, they love it. And they they love um, um, bringing it in, but we now have this this climate ideology um, where. They're trying to get people off the roads. You know, why has Boris put all this money into into buses? Because in the future, it'll only be wealthy people who can afford to drive cars. And you'll be even an electric car. You will be you will be taxed to the hilt, irrespective of, of them being greener. In, you know, in in inverted commas, because of course they're not, are they? To go back to the COVID uh, the COVID climate, Ronan. If you could describe the response, the investigative journalist response to the COVID crisis by the mainstream media in one word, what would that adjective be? Complicity. That's a nice one. I I think I'd, I'd, I'd go along with that. It seems to me that this is the biggest fraud in human history and everyone's been bought and paid for. Yeah, um, I on the exact same page, I think the media has has played a central role. Um, I was talking with someone earlier on about the BBC. Um, she, <laughs> um, she, she said, you know, do you, do you agree with the statement? Um, the BBC is the public relations wing of the government. Uh, said, well, which government? I'd said the Chinese Communist Party. Well, exactly. Yes. Um, Ideologically, for sure, um, because I, I, said, I said I don't agree with that. Um, that that I, well, I I think it it is really the public relations wing of the permanent state bureaucracy. Mm. So the civil service, um, the the deep state security services, um, and the university system, which uh, all of those entities recruit from. That's that's what the BBC um, um, speaks for, and. They browbeat the government last March into locking down. They got that crazy um, Ferguson Imperial report saying that half a million people were going to die. And they beat Johnson over the head with it mm. constantly until he imposed lockdown. But that um, wasn't the BBC that did that. No, that was that was Neil Ferguson and the Gates funded Imperial College study. Yes, um, but it was it was it was um, Laura Koonsberg, um Beth Rigby, um, Pesto, all the all the gang, um, who you know Lewis Goodman, um, all 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 these guys who who beat the government over their heads um, with that report, demanding that fateful weekend leading up to the twenty third round. Which 20th. is basically when 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 it, when it all went wrong. When it all went wrong, because initially it seemed that that Johnson was taking a light touch with it, and then there was that weekend. That report, that report came out on the sixteenth of March, um, and then in the in, in the following days, the media um, waved it around, beating the government over the head with it, and and demanding lockdown. And all they've done ever since is demand more lockdown, and complain that it wasn't um, applied sooner. Every single question at those um, press conferences is framed from the point of view of pro lockdowners. 
every single one of them. It's a bit like so, the Brexit thing, only this time they've won. So if, if we look at where we are today, and the all the numbers, whichever, wherever, if they are slightly, uh, well, if they're wrong and they've been exaggerated, whichever way they've been exaggerated, they are now all looking pretty good. Like the, the numbers of deaths, the number of cases, et cetera, et cetera. Um, if that was to stay like that, and if we were, if moving forward, this is the end of it. I, I don't think anyone here thinks that it is from a control point of view. But let's say that it is. I mean, what the, the mistake, end of the fake pandemic point of well, view? Well, let, let yeah, let's because we know mistakes were made in the past, and we we could debate as to whether whether you know, in hindsight, it's it's easier to say that they should have locked down quicker. We were saying it on this podcast podcast that they should lock down quicker when they didn't I'm not, we didn't, I'm not sure we were poor no no no, like, no 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 right at the beginning when we didn't know uh, and i think that was the right thing to do it, you know i i i said very early two weeks before the the government um actually announced that that the old people should be shielded I said to my aged mother that she should shield because mm. we didn't know. But that's different from lockdown for everybody. Yes, absolutely. It was just she needed to shield because she was vulnerable and she was out and about and the government weren't doing enough at that point, in my view. So I said, listen, we don't, we don't know. So the risk is you stay indoors for a bit and this turns out to be nothing. But the, the downside is we don't know. The government was slow to react, but then, then, then they went too far the other way and have continued potentially to have gone too far the other way but now we've kind of gone through the eye of the needle and we're at the other side and there's a load of optimism going on about potentially let's paint some blue sky and say that's the end of it which i know it's probably not but let's let's say that it is um what what would what would um what would be the warning signs that we're heading back into making more mistakes for you what would how would we see that I would just inject that Boris Johnson is still alive. I I, I would <laughs> agree, agree with that too. Although if it wasn't Boris Johnson uh, and Matt Hancock okay. and, uh, and uh, anyone on Sage, anyone on Sage would be you know they would still be in power even if you were to sweep away Hancock and um, Johnson and and, and all Neil the Ferguson. But Ferguson, do you not have any any kind of? Um, I I have a certain optimism about the British public and over Brexit and, and other issues like that, I think there's only so far they will be pushed before they will say, hang on a minute, look, we know this isn't right. Like, if we went into another lockdown with the numbers looking as, looking much better, I don't think they would take that. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, I, it would just be very difficult to for them to justify it on, on without very good reason. So... I think you'll be provoking something that that could be quite dangerous, and I think the government has to understand that. I'm sure they do understand that. I'm not. Yeah, I'm. 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 I'm not. Not. Not either. Uh, I think the warning signs are, are there already. Um, Johnson's remark yesterday about lockdowns in, impacting um, numbers and not vaccines impacting yeah, them. That was unbelievable. Um, that was an that's unbe- mood music for uh for further restrictions on our lives in the future i think it's like um, it's like the government is just trolling the entire population now it feels like that sometimes um but i i, I do think it's mood music and i think the precedent has been set 
Uh, we, we do live in a common law system. I know that it's a bit blended with, with Napoleonic law, but we do still live in a, in, a, in, a, in a common law system in many ways. And the precedent has now been set for the government uh, interjecting in our economy in very, very significant ways in the name of public health. And you're going to see, um, you're going to see the left in particular, I mean, I consider the Tories to be left-wing, but I mean the harder left, the Labour Party, um, arguing for further restrictions in the future to protect the NHS. They'll say the NHS is in crisis, which is, they say it's in crisis every year. I mean, historically, that's just been to get more money. But now it will be to get more money, plus get restrictions placed on our lives in the name of fighting flu, um, in the name of fighting further COVID variations, of, um, and so on. And also, climate restrictions is coming. You know, it'll be, it'll be um, you know, you're only allowed to drive three days a week, you know, because we've got to get our, get our carbon emissions down. That's, that's coming too. Taking a 12 to 24 month view, what do you think, I, I have my view and I'm probably already showed my cards by the, the way in which I'm uh, intoning the question. Do you think either the Conservative Party or the Labour Party has a future in this country? I think they've got more of a future than, than we would like to think. That, that, because that, that, I don't disagree with you, but that's a catastrophe for me. I, I, I personally feel that both the main parties should be extinct now, given the way they've handled this. Yeah, me too. But I, I think that I think that they have a lot of support. That the, the Tories have a lot of support. I think Labour are in a very bad place. Um, Starman, and, and I think it's a problem for the. Sorry to, to interject. It's a problem for our system that it doesn't seem designed to cater to new growth. It, it's only just, well, let's have one of the lib lab con. And it's just like, that's, that's, that whole system is so unfit for purpose now. Yeah. Uh, first past the post um, um, keeps these, these, these people in power. But if we have proportional representation, there will be a risk of, um, of going like Italy, which is ungovernable. Ungovernable, and there's also a risk of a of, of a series of, of very left wing parties clubbing mm. together to um, in, make you live under a permanent left wing, um, even more left wing than now. Because um, the way the way I would I would if I was a new party, I would the way I'd frame the next general election campaign was, well, everybody now knows lockdown was a catastrophic mistake that killed people. Both major parties voted for it. Who are you going to vote for? Are you a sheep? Yeah, I think um, a lot of people are, though. Tragically. If you could, so if you could design the future of politics in this country, Ronan, what would it look like? How would the system work? Um, if you were to take away the, you know, the practical problems of applying it, um, I would, I would have considerably um, more limited government. Um, I would privatize an awful lot of the state. Um, I would. Re dramatically reduce the size of the university system, um, maybe by 70 or 80 percent. I suspect that's going to happen organically anyway. It, it may well do the way the way things are going. It seems determined to make itself irrelevant. I mean, Hull University in the last couple of days said that um, it would no, no longer be requiring students to write clear grammatical English. Because and that's really tragic for me because that's, that, that's where Philip Larkin became the librarian. And Philip Larkin is I would say to most people, probably the most popular British poet of the 20th century. Yeah, there's a statue of him of him there, which is in, is in grave danger. 
I think I think Larkin's statue could end up end up being pulled down. Um, in this in this iconoclastic spasm, which seems to be um, um, running through our society at the moment, it's a cultural civil war, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is for sure, um, and it's one that that I I'm not optimistic that we'll win. Young 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 people today. Um, I can't believe I'm saying that. I'm only 37. <laughs> um, uh, but young people today seem quite taken with these utopian ideologies. Um, and they do seem quite um, taken with the idea that we are um, um, a very immoral country historically. And that there's nothing else to it than that. And that we, we should maybe have a year zero and break the past. Get rid of all these old statues. Get rid of these awful white dead male writers like Shakespeare and so forth, um, and Philip Larkin, get rid of them all and start again. Um, you know, I, I, I think that's really popular um, belief among young people. Be and, careful, uh, be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you wish for. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know how we can stop that now. I mean, I, I hope we can because it's, it's a repulsive and very dangerous ideology, but I don't know how we can stop it. I think we should lighten the mood, Paul. Let's move on to media picks. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, I, unless I, there's something else you wanted to to to, to ask. Well, I, I wanted to ask just a bit more about your about your magazine. I thought um, maybe you could tell us. Yeah, what, please, it, please give it a bit of, a bit more of a plug, right? Yeah, what, when's it going to be released, and what what sort of articles will be in there? And is it something? Sorry, I'm asking lots of questions, but is it something that you will have physical delivery of, or will it just be online? Um, so the first two issues issues will be out on April 21st. Um, you can go to samisdatmagazine.co.uk and um, sample some of the content um, up there now. Um, it will be available exclusively from that website um, and will arrive as a PDF, an encrypted PDF. In the future, we may move to print too. But to begin with, it'll just be PDF. There will be some blogs and um, podcasts, content and so forth on the site as well. Um, below the line, there's a discussion, discussion forum, which will receive a minimal moderation. You know, so unless it's it's, it's blatant advertising or um, calls rabble rousing, rabble rousing calls for violence and so forth. I'll be leaving it alone. Um yeah, uh, kind of t- type of mag- magazine articles that will be up. Uh, it's going to be a didactic component to Sam is that. So, um, investing 101, which you wrote, Tim, um, and progressing from there to teach people how to invest. Um, economics 101, um, what is economics, supply and demand, inflation, stuff like that. Um, history of this country. Uh, literature, um, current affairs, political issues, a bit of satire, um, and some columns too from some, from some interesting writers. Um, Sean Walsh, for example, who writes at The Critic and um, at The Article, he'll be writing for us quite regularly. Um, I'll be writing quite regularly there myself. Um, and a few, I have a few bigger names lined up too. And would you welcome submissions if people want to write? How, how, how should they do that? How should they uh, approach you? Very much 
um, I've through the website. Through the website, you could you can you can you can send um, pitches to editor at samisthatmagazine.co.uk, and I do I do I do gratefully receive them. Brilliant stuff. And what um, what is your Twitter handle? Do you have one for the magazine and one for you, or is it both the same thing? Yeah, yeah. There's there's, there's two. Um, there is Twitter handle at samisthatmag. Um, and my own is, is at, uh, Mayor Ronan, M-A-H-E-R-R-O-N-A-N. Fantastic. And we'll, uh, put those in the show notes for everybody. So yeah, Tim, I think you're absolutely right. We should go to media picks. Um, what's your, what's your one for this week? Shall I go first? Yeah. This will give you a chance to, to, to contemplate and hone and polish your chosen media pick, Ronan, if you, if you have one. Um, I'll go first. So this is one I, I tweeted over the uh, the weekend. Um, Paul and I have been starting. We, we've started to do protest songs and videos um, online uh, against lockdown and against the COVID nonsense. And uh, a work in progress is one that will basically be sort of U.S. Civil War based in origin. And as a result uh, of that, I was looking for some research material. And uh, I was drawn inexorably to The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. I haven't seen The Good, The Bad and The Ugly for probably 20 years. Uh, So Sergio Leone and uh, Ennio Morricone score. And I was watching it on Sunday and the tears were just streaming down my eyes. It's quite a long film, but it it doesn't. It's it's not a long film. It's just a long film. Uh, It doesn't feel long. I, I think I probably saw it as, if you like, as a sort of aspirant filmmaker for the first time. And I probably tweeted at the time, but every frame looks like a masterpiece. Mm. And the score is just delightful. And uh, words fail me, but I'm, I was just blown away by it. There comes a new appreciation of, of media once you've kind of had a go at making it and you go back and look at, look at things from the past that, and you just it's, see this this is how it's meant to be done. Yeah, and it's 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 lovely when you see something that's that's old that's actually you can, brilliant. You can done. really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, cuz you know it was it was even harder in those days. So, so um brilliant. So the good the bad and the ugly from from Tim. And um how about yourself Ronan? What what have, have you got or would you like me to say mine to give you a bit more time? Uh no, I, I would we'll say big big jake um since you know you've raised raised old old films um big I watched jake big jake with um so uh, is that a porn film <laughs> uh, no 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 it's um it's, it's okay if it is it's you know you're amongst friends uh, oh you yeah, know how tim's mind works now <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 not unfortunately um i've not watched any good porn in ages um <laughs> It's it's an old um, old western with John Wayne. Oh, okay. This is new to me, so I'm going to have to look this one up. Yeah. Big Jake. Yeah, it's a great, great. Film. It does sound like a dildo brand, though. It does sound like a, 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 dil, a dildo brand. Yeah, it, it really does. Not that I know about such things. Of course. <laughs> no, no, no. L- L- Lily Allen's lace, lace She's she's gone into she's gone into the dildo industry. Has she? she? Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You heard it here first, probably. It's I don't know. Breaking news. <laughs> breaking news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the BBC has been has been advertising for it too, actually. Oh my god! Uh, incidental. Um, 
It's yeah, as big, if the big world Jake didn't get any weirder. I've written Big Jake Dildo on this notes on my pad. I'm going to have to strike. I, 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 my notes cannot be trusted for the show just, notes for this j- drink. Just, just put it into Google. Tim. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you remember it. <laughs> Jake's big. Sure Excellent. Around. Excellent. Um, yeah, it's a it's a classic classic western, um, and it has the the tragic hero um, element to it, which I think is what we really need Excellent. right now. I think it's very poignant. Um, I watched it many times. This is a black and white, black and white or color color film. It's color, but it's just about color. Just about I must color. have watched it 20, 20 or thirty times when I was a child on an old VHS tape. Oh, wonderful! Um, I rewatched it recently for the first time, and and I was I was welling up watching it. Yeah, super. I, wa- I wonder whether one effect of lockdown. I mean, it, it certainly is the case for me that I, I get a lot more emotional. Uh, but I wonder whether one effect of lockdown is that it makes people feel stuff more and in, more intensely. Emo- emotion seems that much more squashed and squeezed somehow. Yeah, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. I think in, in, in existential times, um, you, you, you do you do experience things more intensely. I think absolutely for sure. Being separated from your family and and getting bad news on the media all the time it's 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 gonna take its toll isn't it so um yeah it's a very good way of putting it pressure's on you paul yeah well mine i've actually already mentioned it it's um it's the the book homodeus so i've just literally just finishing it now and i have to thank tim for putting me on to the uh the great writing of yuval noah harari you you are are familiar with uh harari uh, ronan I read Sapiens. Yeah, Sapiens is awesome, isn't it? It's it's just like it, it, every school child should be given a copy of that book, and it's it's like everybody and should spanked read it. with it thoroughly. <laughs> well, yeah, awesome. so, some might say. But, um, but Homodeus is is kind of the uh, the follow on, I believe, and it's it's about the future of where mankind may be heading. And what's interesting about him is he he is talking about. He talks about climate change and he talks about climate change and being worried about climate change. So I, I, I like the fact that it's a counterbalance to perhaps what I might think and perhaps what we might talk about, because it kind of stops me in my tracks sometimes about his concern about, I mean, I, I, and we've talked about this before, so I know we don't have to go into it too much detail, but we, we know the climate is changing anyway. And but it always has and always And it will. always has, always will. And it's a question of, are we changing it or is it just happening naturally? Unprovable. You know, ten, 10,000 years ago, we had a massive change in the climate. Um, are you saying that this happened because of humans? It couldn't have done because they weren't, we weren't doing enough to make enough change. So the climate does just change, but that, that also doesn't mean that we can't be irresponsible. And, that, and that's another point, that people who think that just because we're saying the climate's not changing, I think, Tim, you've also very much made the point that that does not give you as a company, the right to pollute the sea and pollute the air and, sure. and do all those things, you know, really, the trouble is all these things have re- been mished into one, one yeah. big virtue signaling blob. But it's, so, but it's so frustrating that it's these big crony capitalist countries that deal, that, that allow their, their corporations to do what the hell they want. And then they've got the cheek to throw it back to you and say, we've got, we can't drive our car, you know, for, for, for two days of the week because of climate change yet, yeah, but th- they can just ruin, lakes and do whatever the hell they want and put plastic wherever they want and that's okay because they're big business so that's where i get annoyed about this because it's clearly wrong but he he does talk about you know where we might be headed with with uh, ai and computers and and the fact that 
human beings want to live forever. And it's the sort of ideas that once you understand about uh, genetics and the fact that, that we can uh, do gene editing in these days and we can get rid of diseases and we can do, th- we can effectively create superhumans using genetic changes, using technological changes. I mean, there will be people with implants. Um, there will be, um, how much of that will be controlling you? How Are we already doing it already? You know, how many times do you actually know where you're going or actually hold that over to your, your phone and let Google tell you the answer to these things? So our phones and technology is already an extension of us. So how much is that going to change in the future? And will, will it be built into us? I've always thought that that's the next step anyway. And then um, will it be possible for humans to be effectively made redundant by a new form of kind of technology. And so he's asking these questions, which I think 10 or 20 years ago, we might have said was probably 200 years away. But, but now... But now you, you look at the pace of change and you think this, is, this stuff is coming much quicker. And, um, and, and so, it's, so it's interesting to see it's just interesting to think about these questions. He wrote this book in 2016 and a lot has happened since then. So uh, I, I just think his writing is brilliant and I love the stuff that he talks about with religion. I was getting very angry when I heard about how there were Roman Catholic um, groups 700 years ago going from town to town and charging people 10 gold pieces to get into heaven because I thought how absolutely horribly corrupt but that's the bedrock of the reformation isn't it that's exactly. the whole bedrock of the luther and um 95 theses etc absolutely i found that that fascinating and stuff that i sort of know about peripherally but it was great to mm. hear him talk about it and which made me very angry against religion but then then he but if talk- the schools were doing their job it's kind of stuff the schools would teach but well, they don't seem to do that anymore well, he, he was saying, I think, you know, I, I hesitate to actually say this figure, but he's saying that, um, and I don't mean to offend anybody with this religious belief. I mean, if, they, if they, you want to be, you know, if you're religious, then, then that's great. And if it helps you, you know, I think fine. But um, to, to look at the, apparently 40% of American people believe in the creationist theory. And I think, how can you believe that when there's so much science? It's like the flat earth stuff that Ronan was saying mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. Like, so, so if people believe that the world was created by a single being in seven days, how crazy is it to believe that the Earth is flat? Well, it's not so much that. It's also, isn't it, that it was created like 3,000 years ago? or Yeah, yeah, two, a couple of thousand years ago. And, and uh, you know, you, you hear about... Um, the story of Columbus and and how he sailed to America, but did fail to understand that it was America because they used the Bible and because the Bible hadn't actually listed America as existing, they thought it didn't exist. They thought they were somewhere else. And so they ignored it. That's how much they believed in religion. They believed in these books more than what they could see with their eyes. It's just, it's just incredible. But what's even more incredible is how it still exists today. People still believe this stuff. And it's like, well, is that crazy or is that just what makes us human? And, and in the end, it's like, well, yeah, that's, as you've always said, Tim, what differentiated Homo sapiens was the, their ability to believe in narrative, believe in narrative. And it's such a powerful thing that on the one hand, I'm being critical of it. 
But on the other hand, you've got to accept it that that's that's why where we've got to. That's why we've progressed in the way that we have. There's been a lot of good that's been done from it. So it's, I, I'm sorry to go on about this because I, I just absolutely love his writing. And I, again, I've got to thank you, Tim, for for um, you know mentioning him enough times. I'm, to I'm read drawn to a line from Terminator Two: "We're not going to make it, are we?" <laughs> <laughs> I, I I'm more positive. I I actually think uh, I listened to to Yuval in a um, an interview. I think it was with Russell Brand, which I will put a link to, and I've I found it a fantastic conversation. And he he doesn't write any code himself. He doesn't really understand what AI is. And people who really understand AI at the moment know that it's it's really nothing more than an expert system. So if you're really good at something, you can teach. AI to be sort of as good as you. So you can teach AI to do some pretty smart things, but it's what's called that narrow AI. It's only AI within a very small area. And so for example, if you if you could teach a car to recognize things that are on the road, um then it'd do a really great job with everything that you've trained it to. But if there was a sinkhole all of a sudden, and it never seen it before, it might drive into it because it's never mm. seen a sinkhole. I'm not saying it would; it probably wouldn't because it'd have some understanding of, you know, the, the, a, a gap there, or maybe hopefully it's coded in a way to say, "I don't know what this is," and just stops. But maybe not. So a human being will will ultimately be smarter in in dealing with data that's drawn from many different places, whereas it's only as good as what you've taught it, and that's. That's the nature of AI at the moment. And I'm, I'm optimistic that we are far more complicated as human beings than we even understand ourselves. So to talk about computers taking us over and all that sort of stuff, I just don't believe. Ronan, we're, we're always on the lookout for, for interesting uh, guests. From your perspective, who, who are the people that you would most like to get for prospectively interesting copy? Uh, copy for, for Samizdat. Yes, um, I would. I would love to um, to get Victor Davis Hanson to to write um, for me. Um, Thomas Sowell, um, although he doesn't he doesn't write articles anymore. Um, Theodore Dalrymple, very interesting, very brilliant writer. Um, yeah. We'll we'll try and wave our ma- we'll 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 click our heels and wave our try and wave our magic wands and see see what we can do. You've already got Tim Price though, haven't you? I have. Tim Tim wrote a fantastic uh, piece on, on on investment one hundred and one. He's a brilliant che- writer. Don't don't tell che- him. Che- che- don't tell him. The, che- checks in the post, Ronan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> for, 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 the, for the two of you, you know, talking about about AI, there, I would recommend um, Sean Walsh, one of one of um, one of our writers. Uh, he has a um, a master's in philosophy of mind and, and artificial intelligence. So interesting. You probably have a very interesting conversation with him about about that. Oh, great! Yeah, maybe we should have him on the podcast. That would be that would be fantastic. Yeah, awesome. Well, Rodan, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been absolutely fascinating. Best of luck with the magazine, and you must come back and tell us how things are going and update us with your views. And any time, and, and thank you so much for having me on i really appreciate it absolute pleasure thanks ronan appreciate it thank you bye bye guys bye and thank you so much for listening we'll catch you next time this podcast is for entertainment purposes only 
please do your own research or contact a professional advisor.